I believe you're born for a reason. I believe that you are strong and made perfect for the troubles of this day. I believe that there is good in the world and bad in the world and that we must be the good that we want to see in the world around us. I believe that we are all in a great battle, striving to find the purpose for which we were born to live. I believe that the greatest of all purposes is love, agape, to love another without concern or fear for your own well-being. I believe that there is a God, and that's why I believe those things. That is Isaac Hansen, and this is episode 299 of the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. And welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. This is episode 299 of the show. We're so close to the big one. And my very special guest today, who I'm absolutely thrilled about, is Isaac Hansen. Yeah, from the band Hansen. Yeah, that Hansen. More about Isaac in a moment. I just wanted to say thank you so much to everybody that rated and reviewed the show on iTunes this week. That is a humongous help to us here at the show. If this show does bring you value, the greatest thing you can do for us is uh, recommend this show to somebody else in your life. Show them how to get a podcast app on their phone. Show them how to download a few, maybe this one. The other best thing you can do is just subscribe, rate and review wherever you can subscribe, rate and review. So thank you so, so much. And thank you to everybody that sent me a podsy of where they're listening this week. It's been super great, especially... uh, Great to see um, Adam listening in Jindabyne, a beautiful shot across the lake there where he was listening and another beautiful uh, a cracking shot there in Bribey Island. Again, beautiful to be listened to in Queensland, uh, my home. So, um, yeah, thank you so, so much for, for being a part of it. I hope everything's good with you. Things are as expected as where we are. We're in waking, feeding, changing, sleeping, waking, feeding, changing, sleeping, waking, feeding, changing, sleeping, waking, feeding, changing, sleeping. That's it. That's what's happening right now. I know it's all going to be Screamtown in a couple of weeks from now, but right now, Wolfie's doing super well. Audrey's incredible. I'm in awe of her. Georgia is in love with this kid. It's beautiful. Hey, buddy. He's just having a bit of a gurgle over there. He's in a pram sitting next to me. Everything's amazing. And we're just surrounded by love and um, gratitude and... You know, so many people giving us so much support and many, many gifts of onesies and swaddles, which I'm pretty sure I used every single one of in one day the other day. Leak-proof diapers. That's a bit of a bold claim now, isn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. So let me tell you about my guest today. My guest today is Isaac Hansen. Yep, from the band, Hansen. Yeah, that Hansen. Uh, you can find him on Twitter, Isaac Hansen is his name, and it's just there on Twitter. He's also on Instagram. Isaac is one of the three Hansen brothers who formed the band Hansen, um, who shot to fame in the late 90s and have been a force of independent music and um, just joy since then. It's no secret how much I uh, am a fan of this band. There's just something about their music that I absolutely love. There's an honesty about their music and a purity of their melody and their sense of melody and their sense of a hook that they just write fantastic pop music and great pop songs. Um, You know, and I like to make this brag in that I, I once saw Metallica, I think, six times in nine days when I was working on a big day out tour, but... There's only one band ever that I've booked flights for, booked hotels for, bought tickets to and followed around as they toured Australia on my own dime so I could catch as many shows as I could. And that's Hanson. They're really that good. And um, I'm so grateful that I get to have this conversation with Isaac and that you get to hear us having this conversation because if you thought Hanson were just those three blonde kids with that song, let me tell you. You're about to learn a whole lot more, and I'm really grateful that today's the day you get to learn this because it, it's going to blow your mind. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Isaac Hansen. I am. Uh, I'm so stoked that we could uh, we could connect like this. Um, I'm really grateful that I get to have you on the show, mate. Um, I'm thrilled Absolutely. for the. So, just my office doesn't look like yours. Um, this is the at the moment. This is my office, and it's going to be a baby room. But at the moment, oh, there's cool. there's a there's a yoga mat with a guitar case on it, and the <laughs> a whole bunch of stuff everywhere that requires a large amount of tidying, on on a list that is growing ever longer of things to do yeah. before the baby comes. <laughs> well, yeah, I've been there a few times. Yeah, <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> Where in the world are you, Isaac? I am actually at our HQ in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, we we have a big warehouse in downtown. We've been down here for probably about 10 years, something like that, a little more than that. So it's kind of front to back offices and studio and the whole nine yards. And then I'm actually in a little private office space that I have where I do things like podcast stuff and other, yeah. other songwriting things as well. That must be uh, super handy to have the whole business in one in one space. Uh, and also to have uh, somewhat of a clubhouse. <laughs> oh, oh, it's definitely a clubhouse. Oh, there's uh, no question about that. I mean, like uh, the excess of 
of instruments and so on. In fact, actually, I have a, I have this lovely harp guitar, uh, which sits next to me. I'll, I'll show this to you. Um, this is... What is that? All right, so he's basically holding something that looks like it was in a Prince video uh, with a massive, massive neck. Is that covered in autographs? Uh, yes. Yes, it is. So that's a prized possession, actually. It was from 1914, uh, the, the actual instrument itself. But it was actually signed by probably about 100 terminally ill kids wow. who uh, were suffering from cancer. And we went and did a benefit for them, uh, for a, a, a gentleman who is a very, very wealthy guy who also – collected guitars kind of yeah. on the side and and he wanted us to have something special and so he took a otherwise very very kind of priceless type instrument and said we're going to make this more priceless and all these children signed wow. it and it's it's the most lovely lovely thing and I've it's been at my side from all all the years since we did it we did it back in 2000 so like 19 years wow what a what a treasured treasured thing! I'm sure that uh, the place is full of uh, all kinds of all kinds of things like that. But there's got to be a great benefit to having a space where, as far as someone who's a creative person is, yeah. a little like an artist studio, that the artist is at home with their kids. They get everyone off to school, and then they go to the studio, and their head just goes, "Okay, I'm painting now." So it must <laughs> is it is it similar when you get there? You're like, "Okay, I'm writing songs now." Does that just you just well, get well, into that you, mode? You, you try me at that mode. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you try and do that. I would say more often than not, it is that. I mean, you, you know, what's really interesting and, and, and uh, is that in many ways, I think our path as a band, my brother and my brother Taylor and my brother Zach and I's path as kind of artists as a band has kind of ended up accidentally as well as maybe temperamentally. It makes sense to some extent, uh, which is that we we've, I think been a little bit more entrepreneurial about our art than even just purely art focused. It's, 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 it's the thing of you want to make the best art you can possibly make. And then you want to also do it the best way you can possibly do it. So it's, we've always found ourselves in situations where we're like, oh, well, I guess we can't do that. And then someone and then we're like, wait a second. Why can't we do that? Maybe we should just do that ourselves. And so we have continually taken on more and more responsibility for our lives, for our careers. And I think what it's created for us is a lot of stability Yeah. in, in spite of a lot of challenges, but it's, it's stability as well. I do. I definitely do want to, to, to get to how you built that because, I mean, besides the fact that people are listening going, hang on, is he talking to that guy from Hanson? Uh, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of really, what I find about what you guys have done, there's a lot of really, really interesting and boss business moves that you guys have pulled over the years to maintain the the company, to maintain the business, to maintain right. the product, to maintain the audience, maintain the market, which a lot of people can learn from outside of, uh, of the music industry. But uh, just to clarify, yes, you you are the one of the boys from the band Hanson. Yes. <laughs> and here yes. we are. And um, I play guitar. I play guitar for a living and sing and write songs. And yes, that yeah. is my band. I love brothers. it. Yeah. I love it. And yet that is it is also the band that many people are incredibly surprised when I tell them ah, one of my one of my favorite bands ever, and are incredibly surprised when I tell them the only band I've ever 
ever bought plane tickets and booked hotel rooms and followed around on tour is, is your band. Um, mm. I think it was the 2005 tour that you did around Australia, yeah. maybe 2006. It was a, okay, it was blurry, but I remember it like I was in <laughs> Perth, I was in Adelaide, I was in Melbourne, I was all oh, over yeah. the, yeah, I was all over the place because it, it was just so. And people go like, "Really?" I said, "Yeah, really. You, you got to check them out. <laughs> you got to see what what's up." Well, um, and I when and we and, uh, and and to be to be frank, I mean, I, I feel like we connected on a personal level very very quickly, and very and very honestly, you know, because yeah. for me, I don't know. I mean, I really enjoyed you know getting to know you over those years, and I felt like somewhere or another when we sat down and talked for the first time. It's you know, I felt like a little bit of kindred spirit quality <laughs> to our to our lives. Maybe it's just that maybe it's just the entertainment business, but actually, I don't know because uh, I've met a lot of folks in the entertainment business that yeah. I wouldn't say that about. <laughs> no doubt, I would, I would, I would agree. <laughs> um, I would agree. But you know, for for a lot of people, their only real reference point to you until your recent Australian tour, which you you just sure. came back off. You 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 toured the country. You had. I think at one point forty something musicians on stage with you. Uh, uh, well, I think it was forty seven. That's a lot. That's a, see, that's a, that's a lot of it's people. A, it's on, a lot. It's a lot it's, of people on stage. It's a lot. <laughs> and I, I know what the musicians union charges. So I'm I'm there watching you play, going, <laughs> how are you? How are you doing the numbers on this? That's a lot of people. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's beyond my pay grade. Right. Yes. <laughs> uh, so you've recently, and so people may have gone recently. They want to go. Oh yeah, I remember those guys. Let, let's let's take people back to that time that they remember you main, sure. mainly for that ninety seven, ninety eight, just explosion of attention upon you. You were you're still quite a young man, not even yet eighteen when it all really, really blew up. When do you, re- I mean, you were playing for a long time with your brothers. You were, you were playing for ages sure. as kids. When do you remember the first, like, oh, wow, this is really different from what we normally do and people are acting differently around us. Was that before the record company came knocking? Well, well, you, you know, you have kind of several stages, obviously, you know, the first stage uh, as, as an artist, as a person who's kind of starting to pursue some kind of strange job that is music is you you first start as a fan and so you have and so you you're there's some kind of spark that goes off in your head and in your heart that says oh wow music uh, that that's that's a really special thing and, and what's interesting to me about music is that i think fans as well as musicians have a very similar connection to it but the primary difference that happens for someone like myself is that you start to kind of instinctively be able to figure it out. It's a little bit like, you know, (laughs) I envy the people that are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was reading when I was three years old. And I'm like, how did you even do that? They're like, well, I just just did. And for me, my own version of that was something like, you know, I wasn't three, but, you know, when you're like, oh, I don't know, somewhere around seven or eight years old, you start going, oh, I think I can kind of, make up song ideas. And, and now granted, they probably started even earlier than that. Cause I've seen that even with my kids where, you know, they're, they're kind of making up loosely, you know, song ideas in some form, but you start as a fan, you evolve into then chasing the dream. And for me, I think, I think the biggest, the most significant moments I remember from 1997 in particular were in Melbourne at a car park with something like, 15 to 20,000 people in the car park. I mean, that's in absolutely insane. Mm. 
uh, level of of kind of people showing up and 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 being into your music. Um, and also, there was a thing in New Jersey that happened that was kind of similar uh, back in the states. But I but but if you go back further than that, I think we started to see that something about what we were doing was connecting with our peers in a way that was was unique. Mm. It, it didn't it didn't seem like the same kind of reaction that we saw from, you know, other older bands that we knew uh, guys, you know, in their teens or in their early 20s, you know, uh, doing the bar gig scene or whatever like that. It seemed like a different thing. And then and then we just took every possible opportunity we could find. Yeah. And then that ultimately led to, you know, making records independently and then ultimately finding a record deal. Yeah. About five or so years into that, finding yeah. a record deal. We look at perhaps the most recent incantation of the super, super, super famous teenager, and that would be uh, someone like Justin Bieber who – yeah. I, I contend that it's a miracle he's alive. He turned 18 and got $100 million or something like that that was sitting in a trust fund. And, right. y- you know, it's a credit to everyone surrounding him that he's still here and didn't just, like, right. d- die in a, you know, in a, in a well-trodden story of, of, of you know, right. fair, fairy dust and party. So when you were in the middle of that maelstrom of uh, it would have just been – screaming people from yes. dawn till dusk for years how yeah. you know how did it feel like trying to get from place to place with nothing but the noise of screaming that must have been weird for a start well i mean i i do have a little bit of hearing damage in my right ear because of <laughs> i bet you do people are loud people are really loud well it's particularly a screaming frequency but <laughs> so we're around for those uh, for those uh, technical types, somewhere around five kilohertz is oh, pretty, you know, dodgy <laughs> uh, um, in, on my on my right side. But uh, of course, guitar playing doesn't hurt or doesn't help that doesn't either. Help. So let's no. be fair. Let's be fair. But uh, <laughs> like, um, was it was it? It must have been odd. I mean, grateful that you've got your brothers around you, so you can have that unspoken yeah. bond between you to try and feel safe. But there must have been moments where you felt kind of scared. It was really intimidating. It's absolutely intimidating. It's also invigorating, right? And so that's the crazy part of this drug, right? Is it's both like, holy crap, what's going on? And holy crap, I am awesome. Or at least that's the risk, right? (laughs) The high risk is like, wait a second, I'm kind of a big deal. You know, and to some extent, you, you what's what's cool about that scenario is you do you do feel like nothing is impossible, which I think is is a really positive thing, you know, in the sense that you go, wait a second, I, you know, the dream is a reality and maybe the other dreams are possible as well. So that's, I think, maybe the most positive element of that. Uh, but the downside is is that you could have a bunch of sycophants around you telling you what they think you want to hear and fueling your ego and your self-righteousness and and all of the negative sides of, of that scenario. But I think in most cases, we, we were relatively insulated from that, I think in part because of the level of insanity that it was. Uh, and also the fact that I, you know, I will give huge credit to my parents. My parents are really, really good people and very... Uh, they took their job as parents very seriously. 
you know, and, and they put our well-being both, you know, kind of psychologically as well as kind of financially at the forefront. And we're trying very hard to be careful that they didn't, uh, shall we say, exploit the opportunity too much. Which is, again, a very well-told story. It's been told time and time again of the, right. the, the, the child star or stars that make just huge amounts of money. And, I mean, they brought laws into the States to protect. Oh, yeah. Because it happens so much. Macaulay Culkin, Britney Spears, you name it. Like, it just goes, Drew Barrymore. Like, it, it just, the list goes on forever. Yeah. It's a well-told story. And when I mention those names, it's a well-told story of how that cannot often end up, uh, how that person tries to deal with that amount of focus and attention uh, through self-medication a lot of the time. But it's something that the three of you seem to have largely avoided. Was there ever a moment that you recall drifting towards that? And do you remember someone saying, hey, buddy, might not be the way to go? (laughs) Uh, Wow. Well, I mean, I go back to the things that my dad used to always say, which is just ultimately, you know, this is your life, not anyone else's, you know, no one else will have to live with the decisions that you are going to make except you. Uh, the manager can go on to another artist. The label can go sign someone else, but you have to have the confidence and the clarity of feeling good about the decisions that you're making. And so he would always, that was, I think maybe my dad's greatest, uh, strength when he was, you know, around in the early days with us, that was, that was continually his advice and continually the thing that he made sure that we were aware of, which is, this is the decision that's trying to be made. How do you feel about it? Do you feel comfortable with this? Do you want to do something different than this? And, and, and that applies to so many things. It applies to the songs you're recording. It applies to, uh, the kind of promotional kind of marketing type decisions that you're making. It applies to whether or not you, uh, spend more time out on the road touring, doing shows or not. He was always kind of checking our gut going, are you feel good about this? You feel confident about this? Cause this is your life. This is your future. This is no one else's. Yeah. So and it's good. And it, what's really lovely is that he gave you that respect uh, even though oh, yeah. you were kids and surely there would have been people around him going, mate, they're kids. They don't know what's up. I swear to yeah. God, Mattel's on the phone, the Hanson board game. It makes sense. Here's a check with lots of zeros. Just say yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and there was that. And there was that. And I, and I like to think that time has proved to be uh, kind to us in, in this respect. But hindsight is not always twenty twenty. We consciously over and over and over again made choices that were about how people would perceive us currently as well as in the long term. So we tried like, you know, when you get the offer of the, oh, the doll or of the, you know, lunchbox or the video game type thing or something, you go, oh, wow, that's interesting. But I don't know if I feel real comfortable with that, partially because 
I don't think that that's what Billy Joel would do, you know, or something along those lines. You know, people that you idolize. What what would Tom Petty do? What would or our ongoing our ongoing favorite quote? What would Bill Withers do? You know, it's just like these kinds of things, you know, because Bill Withers is just one of those ones for us. Um, but he knows. But it's just, he knows. Uh, yeah. He knows. He knows. He knows. He knows. He knows. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a bill with a joke. I think me and you and one other person got that. <laughs> exactly. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm sure that there were some very lucrative deals. I know yeah. there were some very lucrative deals that yeah. we passed up. But I, I feel I feel really good about that in the long run because, for lack of a better say it, I don't have that moment of, oh, you know, I don't feel like I have to apologize for something that I did. I, and that's, that, that's a really, that's a really positive feeling for me personally. I mean, is that I feel like whether it's a song off the first major record middle of nowhere, or whether it's a song off of the latest project string theory or anything in between, these are songs that I am passionately in love with and am proud of. And, and I, and, and in fact, even when we were doing an anniversary project for our first album, middle of nowhere, we did an acoustic version of that record. And I, I laughed with the guys after we recorded it. Cause I was like, it was really strange to me because here we are playing these songs and we'd also done an acoustic version of the kind of coming record that we were putting out later on in that, in that same year. And, and, and I was like, is it weird to you that these songs feel like they could be on the same record in some sense that there's, that there's enough, there's enough consistency, even though there's lots of evolution, but there's enough consistency that it really felt very much like we were the band we always were. I don't know how else to say it. Well, that's just a you know that's a, that's a sign that you've had a good, uh, consistent way of creation the the whole the whole time. To talk a little bit more about that time that you know a lot of people know you for. There's a lot of yeah. you know, and, and as someone who's a parent yourself, and you know, I'm the stepfather to a teenage girl. I've you know been trying to make sure that yeah. she takes time to be you know stay yeah. being a kid because once you're not a kid anymore, you'll never be a kid again. Yeah. What kind of things did your I mean. Clearly, you guys are pretty well balanced. I mean, I've I've spent enough time around the three of you to know that. Yeah, maybe you know, your drama's a bit odd, but other other than that, you're <laughs> you know, you're you're no, I, I kid. You're really well balanced, dudes. You're not affected. And what kind of things did your parents do to try to make sure that in the middle of all this, when you were being called upon to be uh, yeah. able to hold incredibly stressful decisions and, and humongous p- performance pressure in front of tens of thousands of people that you still had the ability to be a, a kid and a vulnerable kid and make mistakes and, and have that. What kind of things did they do? Well, I have to say, I think that there's something about this, this that is a little contrary to the um, maybe modern preferred logic. Our parents, like, proactively did not treat us like kids. Like, really proactively didn't. Like, my mom took our ideas as kids seriously. I mean, she, she when we were these, I mean, before anybody outside of 
our hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I am right now, or, you know, much less, you know, Melbourne, Australia or anywhere else knew who we were. When we said, hey, mom, we wrote these songs. We, I wonder if we can like make a record. She kind of went, huh, that's not a bad idea. Sound good enough. I'll go, I'll go figure it out. See what I can do. Like she, you know, I think some of that is actually really significant because I'm not saying everybody is this way, you know, cause you have to treat like, I've got three kids. I've got the advantage of, of having that kind of perspective of, of seeing that just because you're the same person and who is their parent. And just because your wife is the same person who is their mother does not mean that these are the same people by any stretch of the imagination. They process the world very differently. So everybody has to process their own lives and, and their own children and, and those responsibilities as uh, conscientiously as possible. But our folks embraced the spark that we had in us. And they went, huh, okay. And I just, I cannot thank them enough for that because you know, there were a lot of, there were a lot of naysayers along the way. I mean, you know, family friends who, you know, said things like, uh, you, you know, oh, well, they'll just end up being accountants like their dad and kind of shrugging things off and kind of almost being even dismissive to their own kids who were, who were kind of being complimentary about the fact that they thought what we were doing was cool, you know, things like that. And so I'm really grateful that our parents were willing to take us seriously enough to let us fail maybe would be a big part of it because because you don't learn anything from keeping the training wheels on the whole time right you know you got to take the training wheels off eventually and they were willing to kind of take the risk and and take the training wheels off and i think that's probably the biggest the biggest thing and 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 they yeah they didn't they didn't treat us with kid gloves they treated us like we knew what we wanted what about when you're 15 and 16 and you just want to hang out with your mates you want to do sleepovers, but, oh, God, I've got another night at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> <laughs> How did they make sure you had a connection with your friends? Well, I will say one of the things that our folks did do, you know, not, not in all cases because our, our schedule was extremely hectic, but, but you know, our, our siblings, I we have uh, – we're the oldest three of seven kids. And so – there were plenty of circumstances where when we were in New York for several weeks at a time or in L.A., you know, making a record or something along those lines that obviously partially for the sanity of themselves as parents and as a couple, but also I think taking into consideration the fact that we're their children and that we have younger siblings and so on, they wanted to make sure that the kids were around us and that we were around them and so on. So there was a, a fair bit of that along the way in those early years. And in addition to that, you know, in similar periods, you know, they would often, you know, fly out, you know, the middle school, high school friends that we had back, uh, back at home, you know, out to, you know, LA or New York or somewhere like that, you know, for a few days and, and we'd spend time with them and we'd make time to, to spend with them. And, uh, and a lot of it was just, you know, you're kind of cooped up in a hotel cause, it was crazy. I mean, you, you walk out the front door of the hotel and there are, you know, a gaggle of people hanging around, you know, 
trying to, you know, get an autograph, which is really, really, really cool. But also, you know, it's bizarre. Yeah. It's bizarre. It could really, it could really mess with your head. But um, luckily, you know, think about another thing that my dad said. He would often remind us of another thing as well. He would say, remember, this is not just about you. If it wasn't you, it'd be somebody else. So respect it. When you meet the person on the sidewalk, on the street, remember, you may never meet that person ever again for the rest of their life and yours. So do your absolute best to be present with that person and, and to be respectful and to, and, and to give of yourself in that moment because, you know, you'll have moments to yourself, but you may never have that moment ever again. So, so it was just, I think it was a, I think my dad and, and my mom as well were continually reminding us to, you know, respect the opportunity and respect the people who gave us those opportunities. When you have a massive record and then there's the enormous pressure to make a record exactly the same as the first record and you know there's the old adage you've got your whole life to make the first album and six months to make the second <laughs> certainly comes into play there you yeah. after the the second record there was a moment where you know you guys as a band were you know they're able to make make a decision and your pathway to becoming an independent act yeah was well and truly well and truly on the way if not already already in in action was there mm -hmm. before you went independent and for folks who want to know what that is it means like when you when you sign to a record company they pay you in advance but then it doesn't work this way anymore um, but they pay you in advance which then they recoup from record sales you don't get a dollar until yeah. they make all their money back um yes and and, and then they, they own it and then they own it and you never get it back yeah. and they own basically you've sold them your ideas and your 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 creation yeah which is why if you remember about the time you started actually prince was writing things on his face because warner brothers wouldn't give him the masters back exactly and george michael had the same fight as well mm -hmm. when you went independent obviously there's a lot of struggles now you've got to take care of everything that this massive multinational corporation was taking care of distribution marketing etc etc but when you when you went independent what were the first initial ideas of like oh this was a very good idea this was a really good <laughs> idea that we did this well for one we have a documentary called strong enough to break which actually dives into this in a way that i think is is really candid and and kind of interesting because it shows the kind of falling apart of a record process and then the conversations about how do we get out of here, you know, in a way that I think probably very few bands have ever really done. And I think part of that was because we were used to kind of this weird multimedia world that we've been living in. And so we were kind of comfortable with the idea that, okay, well, we're going to turn the cameras on and show things that wouldn't otherwise be shown. And also in part because we felt like we had the control. We, we didn't, it wasn't a camera crew in a lot of cases. It was a close friend who said, hey, I want to show people what you guys really do. I want to show people the creative process. And it accidentally ended up being a story about how you don't get a record made. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but the caveat to that is that the setup for it was ultimately that we only made one record with the label that signed us. When we got to our second record, there had been a massive, the, the, and I think still to this day, the largest merger of two music companies in history. And it completely upended everything. And we lost 
the head of A&R who had been there helping us pick producers and helping us find the right collaborators for some of the songs that we wrote with other people. Although, you know, songs like Umbop are ones that we wrote ourselves, but there were also other songs which I absolutely love, like Where's the Love, which you can single, and I Will Come to You in Weird, of which we wrote with other people. And um, so there were, so there was a team of people that had believed in us and had seen that through to success that were then gone. And one of these days, we'll get into the weeds a little bit more about that because it was definitely less than ideal. And there was a very real reason why we decided to go independent. And it was basically that we knew there was absolutely no way that we would have a career left if we stayed. Um, and honestly, I wish we would have found a way to leave on the second record, even though and, and we tried, but we couldn't. It was just contractually they they weren't going to let you go. They they saw dollar signs and said, "Oh, this has the potential of success," but you know, meanwhile they're looking at you, you know, like uh, uh, well, people may not get this reference, but like the RCA dog, where like the the crooked head, er, you know, yeah. like wait, what, what what is this? You know, they because yeah. most of the people there that ended up being in the positions of power were in the mostly in the hip hop world, and again, I mean, I I love hip hop, I love great rap records, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the sensibilities are are the same or the i don't know it's it's just a different perspective in many cases well it was a, it was a massive record company merger and a lot of people who managed to the people that managed to keep their jobs a lot of people lost jobs when when that happened not just the bands that got dropped it was a lot of like why do we need two state marketing managers we only need one now sorry pal and the one that had the least results went away you know, right? <laughs> that's just it. And so the people that I guess ended up looking after you were the ones who had had recently the most, I'm guessing, the most monetary, most fiscal success. And at that time, it was in hip hop, it was in urban music. And then suddenly there's this this band of white kids from Oklahoma shows up, and they're like, "Whoa, okay." Uh, you well, know, they, I'm sure they did politicking. their best. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, they did, they did. And and there was a lot of politicking that goes on. I mean, I, you know, we and we, I'm sure we made it difficult on them because you know. <laughs> One thing I will say about us is, you know, for better or worse, we've been pretty headstrong about things from the beginning. I kind of tease that we have a good sense of humor about ourselves, but we take our music very seriously. Uh, so, you know, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take the piss out of things, but but I still take the career choices, you know, w w with a kind of sobering perspective and and maybe sometimes too seriously. I don't know. But. Coming into that third record, we knew very clearly that there was no future that didn't involve a massive amount of risk, a massive amount of risk. And we felt like, okay, we got to make a bet. Who are we willing to bet on? People we don't know after spending years trying to make a third record with a label that we felt like really abandoned us and botched that second record because – the backstory in part, and I'll try not to, you know, digress too much, but one of the conversations I remember very clearly having was leaving a very successful appearance on what is now no longer TRL on MTV, which was the Total Request Live television show. You have thousands of people in Times Square, you know, and you're waving at them from the second floor window. And, you know, your latest single is number one on the, on the charts. And you go to have a meeting with the chairman and the record label president, and they look at you and they go something along the lines of your career 
is in some sense over. We think you should do solo projects or something like that, you know, and you're just sitting there going like, we got a tour booked. We got thousands of people in Times Square. It looks like things are okay. What are you talking about? And so you knew that the writing was on the wall, that they were not going to stick with you for the long haul. And then you end up going into the third record and you end up realizing that it was worse than you thought it was. So when you when you did get away from that, when you did find uh, a way, I, mean, I guess it's a little like, you know, and you've experienced it a few times now, when you finally bring the baby back home from the hospital, you're like, oh, shit, yeah. I guess we're on our own now. All right, what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> what, do, we, what, do, we, yeah. what, do we do? What do we do with this what, thing? What was your first move? What was your, once you got out of that deal, what was the first thing you did? Well, the first thing that we did was we knew we knew the uphill climb we were facing. Uh, and so what we did was we made an acoustic version of the record we were about to release and we went out on the road and we started touring. And there were a lot of folks that, again, not just even the label at that point, because our first record came out in 1997. Our second record came out in 2000. We didn't get out a, a third rail 2004. And by 2003, we were finally out of uh, that label situation and had to make decisions. And the decisions that we had to make were basically – Take the opportunities you can get and and make lemonade out of lemons. So when a promoter doesn't believe in you or something like that, you go, okay, well, what do you believe in? And you build on that. So we basically said, all right, guerrilla warfare, we're going out there. It doesn't matter. We're going to underplay. We're going to play small rooms. We're going to play, you know, 500 seaters and we're going to kill it. And we're going to prove that we've got a career left. And... By the end of that run, we were playing Carnegie Hall, which, you know, is not a 500 seater. No. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you, you, so, but you had to prove to everybody that there was a future there. And my hat is off to our uh, very engaged, very devoted fan base who spent a lot of time in the dark during that period, um, who were like constantly sending us messages, you know, in email form and various other forms digitally going, and physically saying like, what's going on? What's going on? And it's like years of silence because you don't know what to tell them. Like, guys, we're working, we promise. And they're like, but what are you working on? Mm, we can't share it yet. And we just knew that at that from that point on, we would never put ourselves in that position ever again. Yeah. And so we built a business around the idea that we had the control of over what was released and when it was released to simplify it as much as possible. It's a long time between drinks for when you think about the average age of who was your loyal fan base, who would have been prepared to shell out, oh, yeah. you know, at the time, 25 bucks for a CD and maybe 60 or 70 bucks for a concert ticket. That amount of people just starts vanishing the day after you leave town. Yeah. You know, uh, and, it, and it keeps vanishing and you're just trying to catch mm -hmm. it on the way down when a new song comes on the radio that might yeah. get a few of them to stay for a little while. But it's essentially you're fighting a graph that just is just propelled by gravity to and, and against every other outside force, life, family, new bands and the new InSync record, whatever it might be. You're trying to hold on to your market. You're trying to hold on to your audience to be able to try and rebuild that. Do you feel that those earlier shows when you were on the way back where it was that intimate experience, 
how how do you feel that you know those little five hundred seaters played a role in that? Well, I would actually say that in some sense we have two separate careers. Yeah. In some way, because I think that most of what we have to this day has a lot to do with that period. In fact, actually kind of exclusively to do with that period in many respects, because, you know, you have that's not to diminish the fact that having big hits connects with a lot of people. And it does. But I don't think that that's the thing that keeps people showing up. I think the thing that keeps people showing up is on some level or another, maybe creative honesty and like you, you're like, I think we had the real advantage of, of starting from a place of being songwriters first, being singers and musicians first. And so when it came to creating music for the future, we felt like we could still build on what we'd had. And yeah, I mean, it, I think it was a, a seminal moment. I mean, and well, no, not think it absolutely was. I mean, there's no question about it because it was either do that or be done. To be honest, it really was, and and so we just said to ourselves, doesn't matter whether we're in a van or a bus. It doesn't matter. We're getting out there and we're doing it. It doesn't matter if you don't have a anybody but a one tech guy to help you load some gear out of a van you're going to do it. Whatever version of that it was, we were going to figure that out. And I think that that's where youth played to our advantage as well, because, you know, by the time that second record was coming out, I mean, Zach, Zach would have been 18 and he was the youngest member in the band. So, you know, and I would have been like 22, 23 years old. So, you know, we we had we still had youth on our side and in many respects i think you know that third record was almost like where most bands start mm. was where we were kind of shall we say rekindling the flame and building upon that kind of initial spark and that initial bonfire, you know. We've talked a lot about playing on stage and we've talked about writing yeah. music, but there's an Australian band by the name of Grinspoon who made a, um, a brilliant documentary called 23 Hours of Waiting Around. It was their, uh, their tour That's documentary. That's a great title. Yeah, That's it is. That's a great title. Because that was, that was their life, you know, it's 23 yeah. Hours of Waiting Around, man. This is what, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. And people would often ask, you know, and I'm sure this is what I'm about to ask you is relevant to things outside of music too. People would often ask, what's the difference? You know, I've worked in music television for seven years and radio for five years before that. And so I'd see, Mike, like yourself, I'd see a bunch of bands numerous times as the touring and recording cycle continued. And they said, what's the difference? I said, the bands who are assholes, you never see them twice. Mm. You never see them twice. Because mm. if that band has made the local record company rep wait until four in the morning while they're at a nightclub and then they go home and get 14 minutes of sleep and then go back and knock on their hotel room door at 5.30 to get them up for a 6 a.m. breakfast radio interview, which they grumble and swear through. When it comes time for your second record, that record company rep is not going to go to radio and push it. They'll be like, nah, man, I don't want to do that again. How important yeah. is it to care and, you know, t- talk a bit about, if you wouldn't mind, the, the, the offstage job and the job of just being with all the people that keep the machine working? Yeah. That's a really important part of the job. I mean, I, and, you know, and, and, and you know, 
I think you got to start even a little further back than that. Yeah. Which is like, pinch yourself, man. You're doing this job. <laughs> like, holy crap. <laughs> I write songs for a living. I sing songs for a living. I play guitar like Chuck Berry, my idol for a living, right? You know, it's like you have these things. Billy Joel, I've met him. He knows who I am. Holy crap. Like you just, you, the list of holy craps is really long when you've been in that kind of situation. And so, I don't know. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, you know, we felt like we had a lot to prove, but we had, we also felt like we'd won the lottery. And so you're looking around going, Hey man, don't screw this up. Do everything I can to like not do the thing that people will judge me for later. And also similarly, yeah, treat people with respect. And it goes, it, it goes both ways. Cause it, it, it's, it's not just treat the people I work with who I think are important with respect. It's treat the fans with respect first, treat the people that I'm working with, with, with respect first, you know, and, and then the old adage, do unto others as you would have them do to you. <laughs> I mean, it really does. It really, it's really is true. Yeah. And you know, that's also a long tail investment, I think, because I don't, because, and that's maybe why that kind of thing is a little bit of a hard sell even to <laughs> myself. In many respects, because trust me, there have been some moments where I was grinning and bearing it, just going, this person is a raging asshole. They know it. And they are deliberately abusing me right now. But I'm just going to take it and I'm going to be bigger than this moment because I will never talk to this person again. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Which is kind of yeah. goes to your point, right? Yeah, Which is yeah. like, you don't see, you just don't see the assholes twice. Yeah. And so, and you, and you purposefully don't in many cases. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think for us, we always felt like, like you, you had to respect as much as possible, respect everybody that was a part of that, you know, machine, shall we say. But, but it all starts with, it all goes back to loving what you do and feeling like you might have something to lose if you don't too, right? Because again, pinch yourself, man, you're doing this job. I mean, who's complaining? Seriously. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure there's tough days sometimes, mate, but you know, when you oh, run oh, through no, that, no, yeah. when you run through there that are. checklist, when you run through that checklist, you get to go, oh yeah, actually, Maybe I, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe I can I can get the the the, the cheese platter that's not at the correct temperature is going to be okay. <laughs> yes, yes. And again, I mean, uh, you know, we, we we talked a lot about my folks and uh, you know earlier, but it, it, I can't help but you know look back on that. And I think maybe being in my thirties now and having kids and things like that, it, you know, it just it it definitely sheds a, a new light on things. And you, it makes you appreciate it that much more because you because you know how much you're taking a gamble as well as as a parent and so on. You mm. know, just doing your best. So, if you're okay, I'd love to ask you about this, mate. And and to whatever amount you know you talk about it, you know, it's fine. We don't have to talk about it. But I'm interested. I'm interested into what role, um, what role spirituality has played in the last 25 years of sure. your life. 
Well, I mean, it, it would be the understatement of a century to say it hasn't. So I'll start with, with, with one thing that really struck me on our last show in Australia on this String Theory tour, which this show and this album that we just did, the String Theory album, is really all about what we've been talking about in this, in this conversation, which is ultimately chasing the dream and trying to find meaning in your life, trying to find purpose and trying to live up to that, to the kind of infinite potential that you feel within yourself and see within the world around you and doing your best to, to honor that in some sense, right? To fight the good fight for the thing that you, that you feel like you need to be a part of in the world. It's a little bit like, you know, be the change you want to see in the world in some sense, but it's a little different than that. Maybe it's chase the spark that you have and fight hard for it. I, um, a, a woman walked up to me at the last show and handed me a violin, the, a very little violin that was her daughter's violin. She, her daughter must have been no older than about uh, seven years old. And she said, my daughter asked me, uh, since she couldn't come to the show tonight because of school and everything, she asked me if I would take this to the meet and greet and have you guys sign it. And I was really touched by it at just the way that she described the whole situation. And, and I wrote on the back of the violin, dream big, work hard and keep reaching. And to me, I think that that comes from a deep desire to, to encourage others to see their own value, to recognize that there is a thing that needs to be done that only they can do. And I've actually done um, some podcasts that are specifically for uh, our fan club community um, that I've called Grace Unknown, which is um, based on the title of a song that we uh, wrote that was on one of our kind of fan club EPs that we do every year uh, for the fan club. And that, and that podcast starts with I believe you're born for a reason. I believe that you are strong and made perfect for the troubles of this day. I believe that there is good in the world and bad in the world and that we must be the good that we want to see in the world around us. I believe that we are all in a great battle, striving to find the purpose for which we were born to live. I believe that the greatest of all purposes is love. Agape, to love another without concern or fear for your own well-being. I believe that there is a God, and that's why I believe those things. And so, yeah, maybe that sums it up in, in the best way possible. But I think it's important to recognize that each of us have a unique role to play in the world and that it's all connected. Mm. It's all really connected. And also that, you know, we, we talked about this uh, when we were together in Sydney. The most amazing thing to me about, I think, about the world is that is how connected it actually is because math is the way that we explain it. Mm -hmm. 
Math is the way that we describe how things are interconnected because somehow or another the equation has to add up properly, right? You know, it's like it's like when you're in a concert and you're singing and the whole room is singing together, there's nothing like it. And it's a little and it's it's like the 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 title of the latest tour was called String Theory, which was in no small part a, a play on the fact that that's a that's a form of theoretical physics that tries to explain the world. And I think we're all just trying to find the meaning and the purpose in our lives that no one else can do for us. There's a sense of harmony when you start to no pun intended, I'm sorry. There is a sense of harmony <laughs> when you when you do start to to find those things that do make you feel like, oh right, this is it. I should do more of this. And there comes sometimes little glimpses and then you find those yeah. little glimpses turn into little blinks and then they become into, you know, longer looks and you start getting exposed to it more and more and you start to find it. You might lose it for a little while and go, I used to feel this oh, yeah. thing. Where did it go? Where did it go? And then you sometimes find your way back to it or it might show up yeah. as something different. But you definitely yeah. know. You definitely know when you're on it. That's for sure. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, have you watched um, The Dirt on Netflix yet? Have you seen it? No, I have oh, not seen it. It's and I've been kind of intrigued. I'm not going to lie. It's as fun and horribly, horribly sad as you think it is. Right. As you think it's going to be. If you've read the book, it's just, it's, it's harrowingly, it's harrowingly sad. Um, But there's a great line in there where Tommy Lee says, someone should write a book called What to Do Now You've Come Off Tour. So you've just (laughs) – because he goes, my life was nothing but structure for 13 months and now I don't know what to do with myself. Right. So you've just come off tour and you're at the end of the cycle where there was the the release and then there was the tour and then there was the promo and now you're in the drawdown. What does this part of your life look like? as you look towards, okay, what's the next thing we're going to put out so we can go back out and say hello to people? What's this part look like? How does this part of the process look? Honestly, for me, um, the last couple of years in particular have been really exciting. It feels like the world is open to all kinds of things that I always hoped could be a reality in some sense, you know, everything from the kind of technological opportunities that you have to just the fact that I think Taylor, Zach and I kind of feel like, you know, there are no rules there. There are no rules for our band anymore. You know, it's, 
and I, and I'm not saying that we ever necessarily felt like there were, but there's a little bit of like that line in the sand where you're like, oh, well, we've been doing this for 25 years and people are still showing up. Wow. We've been doing this for 27 years and we just played two nights at the Sydney Opera House with an orchestra and released a symphony album. Wow. That doesn't suck. You know, like, you know, you're, you're just going through this ticking off of, of, of things. And, and at some point you reach a critical mass and you just say to yourself, the future is really bright and really exciting. I mean, I think what's going to happen for us uh, is we're looking at planning for the future in a very proactive and very aggressive way. We're working on a massive amount of, of creative endeavors. And it's, and I'm just excited to, I, I it's like, I'm at the point where I want to tell you everything that we're doing, <laughs> but I know that if I say it out loud, <laughs> it will be a little premature. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> and that's really frustrating because, okay. because, because there's just a bunch of, there are a bunch of things that, you know, 2020, late 2019, 2021, it's going to be some fun years for us. And we've got a lot of songs that are stored up that we're excited with share, about sharing with the world. So, I, I mean, the future is really, really bright. And and the thing that keeps me motivated right now is it is actually the vicious cycle. It's we've been on the road a bunch and now we're ready to get back in and dig in and and grind it out and be like, no, 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 that song's not good enough. This song's not good enough. No, this, this is where we want to go. And I, I'm just very excited about about the future in that do, way. Do you guys get pressures about throwing away songs? <sighs> oh, maybe. I mean, but you, you know, here, so we have a really interesting situation with our fan club, which is a, a paid service. We release five songs every year, no matter what, just no matter what we're doing, we make a half of a record from the ground up every year. And this is not like, oh, yeah, we recorded some acoustic versions of stuff and it's a B-side. It's not like that. We're, we're making record quality, you know, fully thought through ideas, you know, every year. And, and I think in some sense, we're kind of looking for ways that we can do that both for our fan club community as well as outside of that community. Because that's been the thing that's fueled the stability and the opportunity to, you know, come play, you know, show after show in Australia, in South America, in Europe, all across the U.S., you know, year after year has in large part been that that relationship, that direct relationship with our fans it has been kind of maintained and strengthened because, amongst other things, we don't have a label that is telling us we can't do it we have fans that are asking us to do it. And so we're serving them first. We're serving our creative process first. And I think ultimately it, that's a really exciting place to be. And it's an exciting place that we have been and, and we're only looking to grow on and grow that. That's fantastic, man. That's, a, that's exciting. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> and and me as well. It's, it's going to be a fun year. It's going to be a fun year. I mean, I you know the the songs that we've got up our sleeves. I mean, honestly, I'm excited about the latest fan club EP that we just finished that we're releasing in May. Some of my some of my favorite songs we've done in about three years. So ah, oh, so good. That's so good. I think there's a great there's a great lesson there as far as 
making sure that you you're caring for those who care about you most first. You know, yes. those people who are, you know, if you're in a fan club, you're paying, as you mentioned, it's, it's a subscription thing. So people yeah. are people care enough that they're financially in there and you're showing them that you care back. Then they become your advocate when you uh, come to town or put a new release out there. Then I was like, oh, no, 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 you don't even realize. You've got to come see this band with me, you know, and that's yeah. by caring for those people that care about you the most, you you just perpetuate this extraordinary business relationship you have. This is really exciting, oh, yeah. man. Not many, not many, not many companies can do that. Not many products can do that. I mean, I'm sorry to, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it's ultimately what it is. You're a business company, and you, what you do is a is a product. And there's not many products that that care about yeah. their clients that much. Well, and that, and that's where it has to start. Is ultimately caring about the people. It, you you have to start first with caring about what you're doing, obviously, because yeah. if you don't care about what you're doing, then you're going to have the tendency to not give adequate respect to the people that you're hoping will care about it. But yeah, awesome. but that's but yeah, I mean, I, I we 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 feel really really good about that and about the future and and it's it's just yeah, you cannot emphasize enough how important it is to care for the people who have already said they're invested, you know, yeah. who've already said, hey, I'm here. So. <laughs> but I did want to talk to you a bit about fatherhood, man, because while I, yeah. you know, I've been doing the job for for five years now as a, as a stepfather, that, you know, for just the nature of the relationship is different, all right? Oh, sure. And that, there are limits to it, and that's totally the way it should be. Sure. I definitely was saying to Audrey the other night, like we have 19 weeks ago, we cast the ship away from the dock and we're just sailing towards the horizon. Never going to see that land again. <laughs> Never, ever. <laughs> but yeah. we're, we're sailing yeah. to a new world full of other people that have already done this and that's where yeah. we'll spend the rest of our lives. <laughs> but yeah. the life that I knew is, is so gone forever and it's, it's never, ever coming back. And what a blessing that is. It, it, it really say. is. It's also scary, man. Like I woke up yesterday kind of before I had a proper cup of coffee and so I was still in a bit of it and I was worried, man. I was, I was like, well, what if, you know, the kid's two or three and it's just, you know, I remember what it was like to be afraid at that point of your life and it really, the sky <laughs> is falling. You know, there's just totality yeah. of everything and you're so afraid. I was like... But what if I can't take that away from it? What if I can't hold that fear? And I got really, I got really worried. So sure. <laughs> I'm sure that's all normal. But it's no, no, it is. It kind is. of it's stuff fairness, I'm waking up is. with every day, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, I mean, I, I, I my, my parents would be the best people to talk to about this because they, they actually, you know, have raised a lot more people than I've had the pleasure of raising. But, um, you know, my oldest son just turned 12. And I had this moment that was just really interesting. And, you know, every now and then you, you just – you have kind of moments of freeze frame in your brain. And it was actually related to my wife because my wife was hugging our oldest son after, you know, he made a basketball shot. And then she was kind of playing around with him and then she gave him a hug. And I just kind of looked over at the two of them in the front yard and I was like, Wow. We're not kids anymore. And he's a big kid. 
And it was really cool to me because I don't know, maybe it's a little bit like I felt like I didn't have certain things to worry about or prove anymore. And, and I think that we all, we're all trying to, to be confident enough in who we are and also humble enough to know we don't know so that we can both give comfort when is needed, you know, be, give that place, that, that feeling of belonging, that feeling of safety, but also that feeling of, ah, it's all right, man, buck up. Tomorrow's another day. You'll be okay. You know, and it's always this fine balance. You're always trying to figure that out because every, because every day, sometimes you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my mind. And this person might be the reason why I lose my mind. And then most of the time you go to bed and wake back up and go, oh, okay, the world's not over, but it sure felt like it last night or yesterday afternoon or something. So here's one thing I know, uh, cause we've known each other a, a, a while now. I know how good you will be at that job. And I look forward to, to the joy and to the peace that that will inevitably bring to your life and to the harmony that that will bring to you and Audrey's life. And the, and, and in a sense also, I think that there will be a remarkable amount of completeness that will come to you and to your stepdaughter and to, you know, to Georgia and just all of that. I think you'll get that in ways that you won't expect. In ways that you, it'll, it'll hit you like that moment where you're looking at maybe George is holding the baby or Audrey's holding the baby or you're holding and kind of look around the world at the world and go, you know what? For all the chaos, this is good. <laughs> I got a great job. <laughs> I got a great life. I got a great moment. And maybe that, maybe that's it, man. Maybe that's it. It sounds, you're sounding exactly like my, what my therapist tells me. She's like, <laughs> yes, there's bad things in the world. Yes, there are. But how nice does the rug feel under your bare feet? Oh, it actually right. feels really nice. <laughs> but that doesn't, take, that doesn't take the badness away. It's not supposed to. Right. But, the, but the badness isn't all of the world because all of the world includes how nice the rug feels. Well, yeah, glasses half empty, glasses half full kind of stuff, right? Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, you're looking at the world and you're going, okay, well, I mean, because it is true. There is, there is a lack of wisdom in, 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 in ignorance, in naivety, right? But there's also the challenge which comes on the opposite side of that, which is if I focus too much on the things that are, that are not going right, I miss the fact that there's a lot going right. And so we're constantly in that balance, you know, because, man, <laughs> you know, glasses half empty, glasses half full. Nothing about the water changed. It's just how you're looking at the water. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, man. That is, uh, that is, that is 100% true. Mate, I'm so stoked that I was able to do this with you. It's so great. I know it's very late at night in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma right now. Um, yes. But <laughs> you should get home and get to your family. But I'm super <laughs> grateful that you made the time. Thank you so much for staying up late and do this with me. You're a good man. Thank you so much for your time, Isaac. And you as well. It was a, it was a pleasure <laughs> to talk to you. 
That was Isaac Hansen. You can find him on Twitter, Isaac Hansen. He's also on Instagram. And um, yeah, they have a lot of great music. Go and find it and um, enjoy. Uh, I can't thank him enough for making the time to um, have that chat with me. Uh, it was super brilliant to finally connect and do a podcast together. Thank you very much to Rachel Barrett, who made it all happen, my producer of this show, Andy Ma, my audio producer, and Mike Mills, also known as Toe Hider, who made all the music for us. Next week's episode 300. We've got something special in store. I can't wait for you to hear it. You're the best. If you need me at all, send us your email at gmail.com. Uh, is my email address. Thank you so much for listening. Until we speak next time, which will be on Friday, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.